Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. All right. So we can go ahead and start the half an hour sit. So just allowing your eyes to close, moving into your posture for practice. And then just recalling your intention for practice. This can be your intention for this practice, just today, your intention overall for your practice. And connecting to this in an altruistic way, just allowing that intention to move beyond self. seeing if that intention can be embodied enough to really feel a visceral motivation and energy for the practice. And then reflecting on refuge for a few moments. Maybe contemplating for a few moments where we usually take refuge, but where it might be easier to take refuge in things outside of ourselves. And then reflecting on inner refuge, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, and how this is sustainable and reliable 
then next just reflecting on the preciousness of being able to sit and turn inward as a way to stay present how the mind will want to wander of course or want to be a bit lackadaisical reflecting for a few moments how rare it is just for a single moment of turning inward even a single moment of present awareness how rare is that And in all the moments of life, how rare, rare is it to sit with Sangha, to meditate together, to support one another. Just reflecting on this instance, this moment. as the greatest of all opportunities. This precious human life is hard to come by. It is so rare and amazing to meet the Dharma is even more rare. To meet qualified teachers is even more rare. To have motivation for practice is even more rare. To have a suitable environment for practice is even more rare. To have a suitable body and mind for practice is even more rare. And if you have all of that, to have a single moment of wakefulness, 
is the rarest of all. I am awake and I know that I am awake. I am sitting and breathing. And I know that I'm sitting and breathing. So simply continuing to be with this moment as it is, to be here for this moment, just as it is, with open, compassionate awareness, breathing in, I know that I am breathing in, breathing out, I know that I am breathing out.
then just checking in with the mind. Maybe it's rehearsing, rehashing. Maybe it's here. But if necessary, recalling your intention again. Recalling how precious this is. The simple act of turning inward. Turning the mind on the mind. Investigating, staying curious. These are precious moments.
Hello and welcome everybody. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you so much for coming together this morning. So yeah, so today's topic uh, is love your enemy. Um, none of us have enemies, right? No. No, no, no enemies at all. It's an easy one. Don't even need to talk. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, the gyms, at least my gym, my gym's opened back up. And I'm not a big fan of this, but gyms now have, you know, TVs. If you want to do some cardio, you have to stare at like 20 TV sets. It's so weird. So I just try to wear like a hoodie and I put my head down, have my headphones on, listening to a Dharma talk or something. So I try not to look at the screens. But it's quite interesting because they have... It's like a train wreck, you know, every time I, I look up every once in a while and I see what's going on and I'm like, oh my gosh, it just takes a second, you know, to be triggered on something. And it happens frequently that there is a situation and they have multiple channels. So they have like CNN, they have Fox News, they have lots of different channels on. And so there's there's a situation that's just hap it's a happening and then you know you can pre predict the it's so obvious you know one station's going to spin it one way one station's going to spin it the other way and so you, you know you just see it it's so clearly it's like i wish every single household in the world and every social media post just had both of them running at the same time you know the situation then they had both you know the different takes on it you know so we could see it you know and of course, people take this knowledge and and then they 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 create their own interpretation of it, and either it sides with them, it says, "Okay, this is what I think, what I believe, and all that stuff." And then, of course, there's this huge us versus them thing that's that's that happens. It's happened forever. It's happening now in our political environment and all this stuff. And you know, there's this. Uh, this feeling like we really have to figure this out. We really have to figure this out. You know, as Dharma practitioners, we have to figure this out within our own selves. And we have to figure it out as a nation. And we have to figure it out as, as a world. How are, how are we meeting this, this division? And I was listening recently to one of my favorite bands of all time, um, Rage Against the Machine. How many, like... 90s metalheads or 80s rockers and whatever right raised against the machine love them i love the riffs you know it's so awesome i love the energy but anyway they have a song know your enemy and i was, I was listening to this the other day and i was you know thinking deeply know your enemy what what what's this mean and you know i came to the conclusion i should be reflecting on it that you know my enemy is my mind that's my enemy. Like, if there, I should say, like, it's not my mind, but if there's an enemy present in my mind, it's just that. You know, if there's an enemy appearing, it's something that I have constructed in my mind. It's a, it's my own construction. You know, I created that. You know, I created that. I created that enemy. Um, I somehow 
built, I built that up. It's, it's interesting where, you know, we live in a kind of a space time duality type of reality. The Dharma lives, you know, the true Dharma lives beyond space, time, uh, duality. And, you know, this is something that we were invited to experience on a moment to moment basis by, by the teachers to, to take what is happening on the outside, which is experienced on the inside, and really dive deeply into the reality of this, like exactly what, what is appearing. And I think that you know, it starts out with this basic interpretation of reality being divided everywhere we go. Like we divide up uh, everything. We draw lines around everything. Objects, you know, draw lines around a chair and a table and a tree and a sky and this and that. There's division everywhere. But in the mind, there's no division. When we're sitting with mind essence, there's no division. We can see the constructs of of division, we could see that ultimately, experientially, when we really try to find the difference between self and other, we really can't, we really can't find that. The continuum, like the this continuum of solid things that we've labeled solid, we see that very, very clearly in meditation, we see that the impermanence of things that are happening and falling away so quickly that they can't be that one thing. Like if we think about changing a political party, what's that mean? Like that's so complex and it's shifting so quickly. You know, it's it's shifting so fast. Like there's so many moving parts. There's so many minds attached to that and it's shifting so quickly. It's, it's impossible for, for us to change independently. You know, let's say something like a political party's belief, you know, because it takes, there's so many moving parts and again, it's, it's changing. It's not like we don't make a difference. It's not what I'm getting at. I'm getting at seeing clearly. I'm seeing, I'm talking about how do we make that fundamental difference and to kind of go just kind of into the ethers a little bit, just to just to throw it out there. Do do we think that we actually can make a difference on a consciousness level? Do you think there's something to that? If if there is a yogi meditating, you know, take Tenzin Palmo, you know, so there she was meditating for twelve years in a cave in the snow. Was she doing anything of importance that affected all beings? Did it make any difference at all? Was she making a difference? Let's say she never left. Let's say she stayed in 12 years. She never came down off the mountain to disseminate the teachings, you know, that she, the realizations, the wisdom, the compassion. Do we think that that was making a difference? Do we really believe in in a shared consciousness, you know, I forget who I was talking to this about, but you know, they've done studies on school of fish, 
we've seen them, we've seen all the Discovery Channel stuff, you know, the school of fish and, and there's, you know, thousands of fish and they move, you know, they move at the same time. Well, they thought that the school of fish, they thought that they moved almost at the same time, that there would have been, been almost like a leader fish and, you know, kind of moves and then they all move. That's not the case. The fish move exactly at the same time because they have a shared consciousness, right? So just like the birds, you know, birds have shared consciousness where they, have, they know how to migrate and, and all of this stuff. You know, we're all really familiar with this. We're familiar with the hundredth monkey, uh, you know, theory of the monkey washing a radish on, a, on an island. And at some point, the other monkeys started doing it. And then the monkeys of that species all around the world started doing it. So is there something to that? Is there something to really shifting our own mind and in influencing others? The Dalai Lama says one enlightened being, one enlightened being will overthrow the delusion of 10 million people. That's what the Dalai Lama says. One enlightened being will overthrow the delusions. So there's some kind of effect there. It's just things to contemplate, like, you know, can, can we make a difference? Even, even if we don't do anything externally, which I'm not saying that we should not. But I think that the internal experience 1,000% affects how we, how we actually move in the world and how we meet this problem. You know, if, if we can't meet it with compassion, we all know this, it's useless. You know, I was thinking of like a young Hitler or something, like a young Hitler. If we were older and there was a, we met a 14 year old Hitler or something and he was saying all these outlandish things. And we're like, whoa, this kid's got issues, you know? He's not seen so clearly. We would have intense compassion for that being and and want to and want to get him the help that he needs we wouldn't say you're an enemy you know uh, you're an enemy you're be uh, you're an automatic enemy you're beyond help you know i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, you know put forth some force you know or, or something or try to harm that individual we would have compassion you know for that for that individual try to get that person help and same thing, if, if there are people out there that truly, truly want to harm others, you know, these people are obviously in, in great delusion. We have to be compassionate to that. So in the, in the Dharma, we speak a lot about, um, especially in Tibetan, you know, a lot about merit, like accumulation of merit uh, through good deeds you know, through loving kindness and compassion and sila, you know, ethics, generosity, patience, you know. And they say that the merit is, is the only way for enlightenment to ripen, you know. It's the, produces the causes and conditions. And I remember hearing about merit and even like these purification practices is almost like this kind of 
outside cosmic force that I was creating and it was going to come back to me and all of a sudden enlightenment was going to ripen and, and something like that. But, but the, the merit has nothing to do with something kind of going out and coming, coming back in. The, the generosity and you know, all, of the, all of these things that accumulate merit, I really like more of the, of the word purification. It's just purifying our own mind to, to see clearly. You know, the ripening of, of a clear mind simply comes from it's a fruition. It's it's a it's a fruition of these of these actions on transformation of the mind to to see clearly, right? So, um, yeah, like that the practice themselves are small acts of enlightened mind that just purify a moment at a time. Yeah, so this this loving the enemy it all comes back to kind of loving our own delusions in a you know in a way. So loving our own loving ourselves. I don't know how to put this like loving ourselves as and I'm using love here as a as attention like like really paying keen attention to that enemy that we have built, that we have built up so that we could clearly see through it. So we could see how did this manifest? What divisions did we create? How real are they? How fixed are they? You know, and kind of punching holes in it just through this this loving investigation so that we could really move with a sense of compassion in a very, very sincere way, like as compassion, as a, as compassionate mind, like, like not on, not on, not so I get what I want or what I think I want or, or whatnot. Like how do we really move as as a compassionate mind, as, as loving kindness. You know, we have to see this enemy as an internal manifestation. This outward energy has so much hate in it. You know, this outward energy of, of so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. Um, then there's no fixing that. That just goes on and on and on and on. So, you know, what I would think, what I thought about doing, you know, experientially today together, we've gone over this as a group, kind of in more detail. It's been a while, actually, um, the 37 Bodhisattva practices. Um, they're very, very beautiful. I took some of the verses from this and... I love the 37 Bodhisattva practices. There are some of them that are so, you know, it's almost like a koan for the heart, you know? <laughs> it's like they're, they're so kind of out there that 
there's no way to really rationalize this type of of kindness and compassion you know so we have to kind of let go of rationale and just really sink into it you know and so i thought what we do for maybe 15 minutes or so is just move into a, a meditation and what i'm going to do is is as we're meditating i'm just going to read some of these verses from the 37 bodhisattva practices and i love this translation you know garchana prashe uses this translation i love this translation dugo kensei has a beautiful translation and commentary um, as well but um and see see if we can move a bit you know beyond the out there and really allow these to to simply reverberate in one's consciousness free of comparing mind and 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 all of this you know and then um then we'll yeah we'll go into to smaller groups to kind of see how this these landed for us but um so let's see i might read i actually i don't know maybe six of them or so so uh all right so go ahead and uh yeah just move into a nice posture for practice however you want to sit And maybe as we begin, just tuning into your heart of hearts where you feel compassion and loving kindness arise. that sincere wish to help others, to ease their pain. Just feeling into that center in your body, mind, heart. And so this one's actually the 36th Bodhisattva practice. And again, just allowing these words to land however they like in your heart of hearts. In brief, whatever conduct one engages in, one should ask, what is the state my mind accomplishing others purpose through constantly maintaining mindfulness and awareness 
is the Bodhisattva's practice. the next one even if someone broadcasts throughout the billion worlds all sorts of offensive remarks about one speaking in turn of that person's qualities with a loving mind is a bodhisattva's practice Even if someone broadcasts throughout the billion worlds all sorts of offensive remarks about one, speaking in turn of that person's qualities with a loving mind is a bodhisattva's practice. Even if others cut off one's head when one is utterly blameless, taking upon oneself all of their negative deeds by the power of compassion is the Bodhisattva's practice. Even if others cut off one's head when one is utterly blameless, taking upon oneself all of their negative deeds by the power of compassion is the Bodhisattva's practice. Even if others influenced by great desire 
steal all of one's wealth or have it stolen. Dedicating to them one's body, possessions, and virtues accumulated in the three times is the Bodhisattva's practice. Even if someone for whom one has cared as lovingly as his own child regards one as an enemy, to cherish that person as dearly as a mother does an ailing child is the Bodhisattva's practice. And finally, appearances are one's own mind. From the beginning, mind's nature is free from the extremes of elaboration. Knowing this, not to engage the mind in subject-object duality, is the Bodhisattva's practice.
Um, yeah, so I'll just break us up real quick into some smaller groups and I'll be putting in the chat box just for reminders. I'll put the ones that I read, I'll put those in the chat box for us. Um, yeah, and then maybe, you know, just, just chatting on how those landed for you and then um, we'll come back in about 15 or so to, to the larger group. Yeah, and in preparing for this talk, you know, I think Garchin Rinpoche was talking about, and I'm, I'm forgetting the Bodhisattva's name, but there's a famous story, not often told, you know, in Buddhism, where there was a, an individual, a practitioner, that was on a ship, you probably heard the story, and he overheard an evil doer on the ship, and this evil doer was going to kill all 500 people on the ship. And so this, you know, Bodhisattva to be out of compassion, you know, for the karma that this evildoer was about to, uh, about to uh, create. And of course, all the people that would be killed, he went and murdered that individual. And the murdering of that individual, the evildoer, was the very cause for him to attain enlightenment. So it's a very, you know, it's not told that often because it's slippery slope, but it's, you know, the, the, the key, you know, go, and it's, it's real, it's a tall order, but can we do these things with, with compassion? You know, it definitely doesn't mean non-action. We have, to, it's like you mentioned, yeah, love is standing up for the greater good, you know, like that's what love is. Can can we do that without making an enemy? That the, which you mentioned. Like, can we do that by seeing the delusions of that evildoer, that they are in delusion? Um, that's the key to come from this pure place. And you know, in my experience, you know, I'm not always, I'm not there yet. But it, it has to be seen that this it has to be beyond the conceptual level at some point like we really have to see the unity of 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 each other in the deeper states of meditation and on the way there which is very quick we can see much quicker is our own delusion and our own attachment and our own neurosis and warped state of seeing <laughs> you know we have a lot of that going on too and a lot of selfishness i know i do that I want to protect me and mine. And a lot of people that are evildoers, they're trying to protect me and mine too. And we get ourselves in trouble with that a lot. But um, yeah, I thought that I'd share that story. It's top of mind for me. <laughs> um, all right. 
So anyone want to share what came up for them with the, um, yeah, the larger group? I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll share. Uh, it's funny, on Friday morning, we did an equanimity practice. I, I, I led an equanimity practice. Uh, and so it's really interesting to have this right on the tail of that and just mm -hmm. You know, the, when, when things recur over and over again, it's very helpful for me at least. Mm -hmm. But just this reflection that um, out of that equanimity practice, it's uh, very similar. Um, uh, you know, taking the viewpoint of somebody else like your enemy, um, imagining taking their viewpoint and, and then imagining stepping out and attending and then um, but, but at the end of the meditation, the reflection is like, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing inherent in that other person that makes them an enemy. And there's, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing inherent in one of your loved ones that makes them a loved one. And all of that can change. And, um, and you know, I was further reflecting that there's, I guess there's nothing inherent in my mind that makes that so either. It's just a flow of... And I guess there's that meditation that friends can become enemies and enemies can become friends. And um, anyway, I thought it, for me, it really dovetailed uh, with the teaching today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for these uh, teachings today. I really appreciate it, Casey, and also for the time that I spent uh, chatting with Ali. Uh, I shared with Ali that this really resonated with me in terms of something I've been practicing with a lot, and that is just noticing the uh, self-righteousness and uh, protectiveness of, of having strong views. And that there may be nothing inherently wrong with having a viewpoint, but th this holding on to the rightness and the energy particularly the reactive energy that I notice it comes up when I feel, you know, that I am right. I, my perspective is the right perspective. Why can't anybody else see that this is what needs to be done? You know, that, that sort of energy is what I've been really focusing my practice on a lot recently. And it, and it resonated very much with the teaching today. So I just appreciate that very much. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Yeah, and then uh, Anthony. Um, thank you for your teaching today. Um, it it made me think of uh, the difference between the different vehicles. Uh, you know, Zen being sudden school of enlightenment. So, as opposed to say uh, Theravadan Buddhism, where you take all the properties of a enlightened being and you practice them. Uh, you know, uh, you practice compassion, you practice wisdom, you practice, uh, you know, loving kindness. Uh, whereas Zen is more become enlightened, realize there is no self, and then you uh, basically can manifest uh, wisdom and compassion. And even the Zen Buddhists admit that uh, the gradual school works. They just feel that it's incomplete. Um, and I think of the Buddha, he, you know, he, he didn't practice 
anything other than trying to see the nature of, of reality. And then once he was able to see the nature of reality, all of the delusion fell away and there was no need to practice uh, compassion or wisdom. It was always there hidden beneath his belief in self, aversion, uh, uh, attachment and delusions. Um, so it's more a subtractive process than an additive process. Uh, we're already Buddha, but we just need to subtract the stuff that makes it hard for us to experience that. And then, you know, I thought of just how difficult, you know, these practices are with our thinking mind and with our belief in self, um, you know, uh, So it, it's interesting to to hear about these practices and and to uh, to attempt to let go of uh, things that are getting in the way. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciated the talk as well. Um, I and it was. So I was reflecting upon the, I think the second practice that you read, I can't remember what number it was. It was about the broadcasting of, you know, unkind things about another person into the ages and still mm -hmm. holding the characteristics of that person with a loving mind. And in, I'm sort of in this moment of experiencing this right now, not as either the person you know, broadcasting or as the person being broadcast about, but as like a third person mm. and, and sort of seeing, you know, the, the hurt that's happening between all these individuals, but also realizing that I'm feeling hurt from this exchange too. So there's this hurt that's happening. And I, um, and I know, you know, that there's, that, that we are all same you know, and I want to hold, you know, my feelings as important and their feelings as important. And um, that it, it's challenging to um, watch and abide and um, <laughs> not choose sides and, you know, and, and also work together because we work to, or we, we vol do volunteer work together. And, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so it just really, um, but it's, it's, it's good to remember that the intention is to keep a loving mind. I think that will assist in the abiding mm -hmm. and maybe a solution or no solution. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. The wisdom of no solution. <laughs> <laughs> No permanent fixed solution and no problem, but we act anyway. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for like playing along because I think, you know, these, you know, these topics, they are unanswerable, you know, like the suffering of samsara is, you know, probably, you know, just, it's just ongoing, you know, how the Bodhisattva way is, is to love no matter what, you know, like in, in all these different situations, but it's the Bodhisattva mind that sees clearly like all beings resting beyond their delusion 
you know, as heart, you know, beyond the, the constructs. I mean, this is true seeing. We have to truly see as love and compassion, not as a concept, but as our own shared truth and our own shared experience. Um, and then the world, you know, may not work itself out, but, you know, maybe there is something to that 100th monkey thing. I mean, is, is there a way that we can become love and just throwing it out there? Like, what if we all just became really, really, really loving beings and we didn't add to that consciousness of, of hate just internally? What if, you know, a hundred million of us did it, 200, 300 million? At what point would humanity just be that way? Because there's a lot of social constructs that we just believe in. You know, like a deer knows what to eat, a bird knows where to fly. You know, there's obviously things that were taken for normal in the medieval times that are just not normal anymore. We just think with, we would just think that's just not normal, you know? What if, what if the normal is just this love and compassion for all beings? What if you're born into that? Like, that's the norm. Like, is that possible? Like, that, that could only be possible if we transform our own, our own minds. And again, the actions are the same. Of course, we're going to fight for good. What's right is right, and what's wrong is wrong. And we're going to fight for that using our own compassion and wisdom like our own uh, up to that point like what we what we think that might look like and i think we have to give room that it might be possible for for so many of us to become awakened to our true nature that we all become awakened to our true nature at some point it might be possible you know thank you so much for the whole talk and and for those closing you know, statements that really pull it together, Casey, and for everyone's share. Um, I have a very non-serious thing to share, which is that Casey, at some point, you gave us these booklets with the 37 uh, Bodhisattva practices, and you mentioned the one about, you know, if someone, if others steal from you, you know, if people steal and destroy your property and things like that. And I just want to say that my four-year-old has scribbled all over my, at some point, she got <laughs> She got my bodhisattva practices and she's drawn in the whole book. So I love, I love things like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she stole my booklet and used it as a coloring book. <laughs> and I love it. It's more perfect now. That's <laughs> so awesome. To share. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for mentioning that because I, I totally forgot that I put the link for the 37 practices at the bottom of the chat. And and I think you could still, you might be able to order from that link or Garchin's um, site itself. Um, you could download the PDF from that link. And um, I know many friends just download the PDF and make their own little booklet, just staple them together. Um, and you still might be able to order, um, you know, they, yeah, they come in that side. This is like, this is the Mahamudra companion to it, you know? Um, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I don't see the link. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, oh, you don't? The, um, did I send it to you guys? Yeah. Thank you. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah, I see it twice now, but 
Um, yeah. So yeah, you go ahead and click out of that and um, it, it has downloadable PDF of the 37 practices in this translation. And, and um, I think you'd order the booklet too. So, um, so yeah, just dedicating, dedicating the merit. So just setting that intention that this merit is shared, just like we've been talking about, really feeling the connection with, with all beings. There's a shared experience in, in all of us. And may they, that shared experience be one of love and compassion, generosity, patience, understanding, tranquility, May all beings everywhere, may we all come together in a shared intention for peace. May all beings in their hearts, their minds, their bodies, may they all be happy, truly happy and free from suffering. Thank you all so much. I just thank you so much. It's such a gorgeous summer day in Southern California. I mean, it's just perfect out there. And, um, you know, we've stayed inside and <laughs> looked at a darn computer again, you know, to shine, to, to kind of look into that, that inner light, you know, that's always shining. So it, it takes a lot of commitment in these summer days to come and sit with one another. So just want to thank you all very much. It was really nice to sit with you. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.